Amen, amen. Hey, as you take your seats, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. If there's still not one, you'll see the words on the screen in just a few moments. Uh, you know, for many years, if you've been coming here for a little while, you, you would always hear a voice throughout the service. And, and at, a, at a moment where a truth was declared or sang, you would hear this deep, resounding, Amen. And that voice came from a guy by the name of Bob Tackett. Some of you know him as Amen Bob. And uh, we lost that voice this past week. He passed. And uh, now he's with Jesus. He's in a good spot, okay? He's, he's with the Lord. And uh, his services are going to be tomorrow right here at our church at 2 o'clock. The family, Betty, and, and the rest of the family are going to be visitation in here from 1230 to 130 if you're wanting to come by for that. Um, but somebody had, I thought this was a pretty good idea, um, to do this in his honor, and as our hearts and minds and, and prayers go out to betting the family, uh, in his honor, let's, uh, in one voice, as deep as you can go, let's do a good amen, all right? On the count of three, okay, you ready? One, two, three, amen. Now, you need to do that throughout the service, you know that, right? Okay. Bob would be proud, he is with the Lord, and man, uh, but be praying for that family, now, a few months ago, I, I shared this story with our mid, midweek group, um, but it was the summer after my junior year of high school, and I had the privilege, or I might say the obligation, uh, to attend Boy State at Northeastern Oklahoma Junior College in Miami. Not Miami, in Miami, um, Oklahoma, N-E-O. You might be saying, well, what in the world is Boy State? Well, Boy State, very similar to Girls State also, uh, taught would-be seniors about state government, about leadership, about law, um, among other things, in a very hands-on kind of way. During a week of our precious summer on the, this junior college campus, well, we spent that week at NEO broken up into groups. So you arrive on the campus... All these junior guys who just finished their junior year, we arrive on the campus all across the state of Oklahoma we came from, but we were broken up into groups, and the groups were randomly assigned, but they were like our family groups for the whole week, but they weren't called family groups. They were called counties and cities and these branches of government, and all these categories corresponded with what room you stayed in, what dormitory you were in, and where you're just at on the campus. But I'll never forget the first night arriving at the camp. Me with my city or my group, we were outside in the parking lot. It was hot. We had jeans on. We had our Boy State t-shirts on, and they were tucked in. I don't like being tucked in, but they were tucked in. And so there we were. It's hot, jeans, shirts tucked in, and we're just kind of there, a big group, and we're just kind of hanging out, not knowing why we're in the parking lot, um, just fumbling about, hanging out. And then our group leader shows up with this strong, powerful, authoritative voice, and he proceeded to direct our group into order, forming us into one single unit, military style. 
single file line, two to four lines wide. And then over the next many hours, several hours, we were trained to step and march and move as one single unit. Our leader transformed us scraggly juniors, would-be seniors, into a cohesive, unified marching group. And this is how we would get about camp all that week. But from that moment on, we had to conduct ourselves as one group. And we had to live a certain manner of life during that whole week, meaning we had to meet certain obligations. We had to dress a certain way. We had to march a certain way. We had to speak a certain way. We had to treat each other a certain way. We had to think a certain way as a member of the community of Boy State. It was our calling. It was our command. It was our duty to live this specific manner of life during that very long, long, long summer week on NEO's campus. But it's that kind of imagery that Paul has in mind in Philippians chapter 1 when Paul uses this word that refers to our manner of life, hence the title of today's message. What Paul means by this word is that as followers of Jesus, as a member of the community of the church, we are now called and commanded to meet certain obligations when it comes to our relationship with the Lord our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world. And what that means is, is that as followers of Jesus, the Lord is calling and commanding us to live as a united community in Jesus with an unconditional commitment to Jesus, to his message, to his kingdom, to his people, above and before anyone or anything else, despite what we've gone through, despite what we might be going through, and despite what we will, no doubt, potentially go through in this world. Now, last week, we asked this question, what are you living for? What are you living for? Ultimately, what does your life, even your death, what does it mean to you? And if our answer is not Jesus... Meaning, if life is not for Jesus and death means to ultimately be with Jesus, then it might mean that our hearts and minds and our lives are not where they ought to be, where they need to be, where they must be. And so my prayer was, and still is, that our mindsets and our hearts and our lives would be radically transformed, flipped upside down to the, port, to the point where we can say, with full conviction, with full truth, and authenticity that for us, life is for Jesus, and death simply means to be with Jesus. But here's the thing. If that's true of us, and we say, yes, amen to that, life is for Jesus, death just means to be with Jesus, I'm living for Jesus. If this is true of us, as it was with Paul, then it follows that we are now called and commanded to live a different kind of life than the world, than what we once lived. In other words, we must know that God has called us out of the world to still be in the world, but no longer of the world. We must know that God has called us out of the world to still be in the world, but no longer of the world. What Paul is ultimately getting at with this idea of this manner of life is that we walk or we conduct ourselves in such a way that proves to anybody and everybody, that we are worthy enough to bear the name Jesus followers. 
Meaning, don't just take the name. Walk the walk. Talk the talk. Think like Jesus. Act and react like Jesus. Speak like Jesus. Live like Jesus. No matter what's going on in the culture or the community, no matter the season, no matter the circumstances, no matter our emotions and feelings, live like Jesus. In such a way that you're worthy enough to bear the name Jesus follower. And not just as an individual. It's not just, hey, I live my truth, you go do your thing. No, we are called and commanded to live this way as a single, united unit or community. Therefore, it follows that we are to live, a united, live as a united community in Jesus with an unconditional commitment to Jesus. This is now our obligation, our calling, our command to live this manner of life together. So look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and this is what Paul writes. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come, remember he's in prison writing this, so whether I come and see you or I remain absent, so that I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, standing firm with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that salvation from God's. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you This is your gift. This is by grace that it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. Remember what happened in Paul and Philippi. We looked at that the first week, right? Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So up to this point in this letter, Paul has talked about his stuff. Now he's ready to talk about their stuff. And he's calling them, just as the Lord is calling and commanding us, to live a certain manner of life. To conduct ourselves in such a way that we prove ourselves worthy to bear the name Jesus follower. Now, what does that manner of life look like? What does it specifically look like? Well, when it comes to our manner of life, our conduct in this life, Paul uses military-like language and imagery to reveal to us how we must live together as Jesus' followers. And he calls and commands us to three things. These three things are this. Stand as one, strive as one, and suffer as one for Christ. For the sake of Christ. So what does that manner look like? Manner of life look like? It's this. We are to stand as one, strive as one, suffer as one, all for the sake of Jesus. So let's look at number one. Stand as one. Specifically, he calls us to stand firm, immovable, not in multiple divided spirits, but in one spirit. Better yet, we're to stand firm as one in the Holy Spirit. In other words, let nothing move you. Let no pressure from the culture. Let no pressure from outside or within. Let nothing 
move you from this position, from this location, side by side, standing firm, rooted to the spot, as one in the Spirit. Stand as one in his authority, in his identity. Stand in his presence, in his power. Stand in his promises. For example, Exodus chapter 14. At this moment in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are literally leaving Egypt. Hundreds of years of enslavement, right? And we see the ten plagues come upon Egypt. And God has now delivered his people from slavery, And they're literally leaving Egypt. And what do they find as they're leaving? A massive sea in front of them. A wall. So they approach the sea. They have this wall before them. And then, as we see in Exodus 14, they lift up their eyes and they see the enemy, their opponents, now coming after them. So they have a wall in front of them and the enemy behind them. And then fear strikes as it does all of us when we have a wall in front of us or we feel claustrophobic with an enemy or, or oppression all around us. Fear strikes, and when fear strikes, then we see doubt come about and division and potential devastation and destruction. And you sense that in their words of anger directed at Moses and the Lord. Why did you bring us out here? What were you doing? We were better off back there. But Moses responds to them. Remember, a wall before them, enemy behind them. They're trapped. They're full of fear. They're angry. And Moses tells them, hey, fear not. Stand firm. Stand firm, immovable, not full of fear. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, yes, they're coming after you. You shall never see them again, though, because the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So don't be afraid. Just stand and be silent. Watch what God does. Then what happens, as we see in the story, God moves. So they have this wall before them, an enemy behind them, and then to top it off, darkness and fog begins to envelop them, and the Lord causes a fierce east wind to blow all that night, right? We kind of picture Hollywood's version. He holds up the staff and immediately parts. No, when he holds up the staff, God then causes this fierce, it is a like extreme gust of wind that comes and blows all night. And within all this, they're told, don't be afraid, just stand firm. There's darkness all around them. The wind's blowing. They have a wall before them. They know there's an enemy behind them. And they're told to be silent and see, to stand firm, don't be afraid. And through it all, what does the Lord do? As the song says, he makes a way where there ain't no way. He makes a way through the wall. And this was all for his glory. The Lord said, I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians are going to know that I am the Lord. It's all for his sake, for his glory. He makes a way where there ain't no way. And Paul gets this. He knows this. He knows that God is always up to this kind of moment and this kind of movement as Exodus 14. That's why Paul knows that the Lord is with him in the darkness. 
The Lord is still at work in and through the darkness, and the Lord will eventually end the darkness. He knows that's true not just for him, but for all of us who belong to Jesus. We may have a wall before us. We may have an enemy behind us. We might be shrouded in darkness and the uns- with the uncertainty of fog, with a strong wind just beating against us, this constant opposition. And we have no idea what God is up to or what kind of door that he's making in the wall. And all this may be coming at us from friends and family or from employers. It may be coming from circumstances or from health or from the government. It may be coming at you from a source you least expect. It may be coming at you in phases or all at once. But the thing that we must do as a member of the community of Jesus is stand firm. Stand firm. Be immovable as one, not as individuals, but as one in the Spirit. Stand in His authority, in His identity, in His presence, His power, His promises. He will fight for you. He will provide for you. He will make a way where there ain't no way. He's with you in the darkness. He's still at work in and through the darkness, and He will somehow, some way, and at some point, end the darkness. And in all of it, he will get the glory. For his sake, stand firm as one in the Spirit. The second thing we're to do that Paul tells us is we're to strive as one. Toil, work, move side by side together as one, in one spirit, in one mind, striving together into and through the darkness of this world for the sake of Jesus. Paul uses clear military language and imagery here. And the best example of what Paul is getting at is something called the testudo. The word testudo comes from the Latin word for tortoise. Again, the best example of what Paul is getting at is something called the testudo. The word testudo comes from the Latin word for tortoise. Remember, Philippi is a big Roman military town for retired Roman military And Testudo referred to a military formation in which a group of soldiers formed a shelter by locking their shields over their heads when under siege, when under attack. Much like the way a turtle takes cover under its shell in times of trouble. So a certain number of soldiers would line up in a square formation, usually about ten lines of eight soldiers. It looks something like this. And they would stand close, side by side, together, some holding their shields outward while others holding their shields above them. And they all strive together, marched and moved as one, moving slowly as one unit forward on the battlefield with their shield wall, creating a protective shell, again, like a tortoise. And this formation protected them from arrows, from javelins, other projectiles which might be fired at them. And as a result, the testudo was widely used in Roman military operation during battle because they could use it to advance into the enemy's territory and get close enough to the enemy that then they then could engage them in combat. Listen, there is war raging all around us. 
Physical war, yes, you, you, you see it. But even deeper than that, a spiritual war. It's an unseen war that has massive implications on the seen world. There's darkness, despair, division, desolation, devastation, destruction, death. I mean, our enemy, like he has always done, is unleashing an all-out assault on anything and anyone. And within this war, Paul, in essence, is reminding us there will come moments of extreme opposition and conflict. Such opposition will seek to divide and destroy the united community in Jesus or the unconditional commitment of his people to Jesus. But Jesus sends us out as one in his Holy Spirit. With all authority in heaven and on earth, we are sent as his messengers, as Paul will later say, as citizens of his kingdom, his light in the darkness, his salt of the earth, his city on a hill. And Jesus said that the gates of hell, the defense mechanisms of the enemy, the walls and the opposition he seeks to put against us will not prevail. It will not stop. Thus, whatever happens, we must live this manner of life. We must stand firm as one in the Spirit. We must strive as one, side by side together, as one in one mind, into the darkness, into the enemy's territory, as one unit, like the testudo. We must move forward on the battlefield, not fearful, but fearless which will cause our enemy to be convinced of its destruction and our salvation. And that, not from ourselves, but from God's. The third thing is, we are to suffer as one for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul shares some very deep, intimate words with us. He said, I've been in prison Of course, as he's writing Philippians, he's in prison. He said, I've been in prison. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. Five times that's happened to him. Three times he'd been beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He said, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. He said, I've labored and I've toiled. I've often gone without sleep, sleepless nights. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been without clothes. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure or the anxiety of my concern for all the churches. He then goes on to ask, who is weak, and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I don't inwardly burn? These are words from a man who had suffered and who continued to suffer for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Christ. Even as he's writing these words to the Philippians, 
He's suffering. They had seen him suffer in Philippi. Now he's continuing to still suffer. And he tells his readers, as the Lord is telling us, that we are engaged in the same conflict. We can expect to experience some of the same results. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, we will suffer. You better just get that in your mind. The cost is severe. We will suffer. We will face conflict, opposition, darkness. We will suffer. And what's more is that as a servant of Jesus, we will be unable to act or react, to speak, to think, to live like the world, or we once did. Because remember, God has called us out of the world to still be in the world, but no longer of the world. Therefore, even as Jesus said, therefore the world is going to hate you. They will reject you. They may defriend you. They may disown you. They may fire you. They may cut you off. They may abandon you. They may beat you, imprison you, fine you, or even kill you. Because you refuse to participate or because you refuse to denounce Jesus. Because remember, life is for Jesus. Or part of our suffering is we will not get to indulge in the desires of the flesh like we once did or like the world does. We may have to endure an inward burning, Paul says, that runs in opposition to our calling and command to live as a united community in Jesus with an unconditional commitment to Jesus. We will suffer on some level in this world. But as Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. So for his his sake, stand firm, strive, suffer as one. He even says it's a privilege, it's an honor. The root word, this is the root word that we get our our word joy from. It, It is like the grace of God, it's been given to us for his sake to not only just intellectually believe in him, but also to obey him, which means to suffer for him. So this is the manner of life that we are now called to live. Our obligation as a member of the community of Jesus. Together, we are called and commanded to live this manner of life, meaning we are to live as a united community in Jesus, no matter what, with an unconditional commitment, no matter what, to remain loyal to Jesus. And we do that by standing as one in the Spirit, Striving together as one, with one mind, suffering as one, all for the sake of Jesus. Now let me finish by putting it to you this way. Many of you watched that game yesterday, or you heard about it. The last official bedlam game. Now, I think they'll play again in the future, but this has kind of ended this long history of bedlam, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. I mean, just think about the history, the tradition, the moments, the memories that many of you have. They played like something like 118 times they played each other. The first meeting, I believe, was on November 6th, 1904. It's 119 years ago tomorrow. That's like three years before our state even became a state. 
Oklahoma won that game, by the way, 75 to nothing. But I, we won't go there, all right? That was back when it was Oklahoma and A&M, all right? That was a different time, right? But really, OU dominated the series, right? I mean, the facts just show it. They won 91 times and only lost to OSU 20 times. OSU only won 20 times and lost 91 times, and they tied seven times. So the expectations and the anticipations seemed to lead most people to believe that everything was stacked against OSU going into yesterday's, yesterday's game, that OU would finish this series as they started on top. But you know what OSU did? They conducted themselves in a certain manner. They stood as one. They strived as one. They suffered as one, all for the sake of their community for their school, for their team. They conducted themselves in such a manner that they got the last laugh over their opponent. And I'm an OU fan, by the way, so it hurts. I know. (laughs) Quiet, Quiet up there. Despite how dominant that opponent had been throughout their history, OSU got the last laugh because they chose to live a certain way conduct themselves in a certain manner. As followers of Jesus, as members of his community, the Lord is calling and commanding us to live a kind of manner of life in which we're a united community in Jesus with an unconditional commitment to Jesus by standing as one, striving as one, suffering as one, all for his sake, knowing that no matter the past or what appears like what's going on in the present, no matter even what the future state of the opponent will be, we're to remain fearless because we know that God gets the last laugh over the opponent. He will get the glory. So let this be our manner of life every day in all things for his sake. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We're going to have a time of response. For some of us in this room, God's just working on our hearts and our minds just to surrender, to surrender a certain part of our life or our whole life, but to surrender. He's calling us into relationship with him, to become a member of this community that is united and is called to live an unconditional commitment to Jesus in this world, despite the challenges, despite the difficulty, despite the conflict. So he's calling you to surrender. To give your life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. For others of us, man, we've been allowing fear to dictate our actions or reactions or our words or our thoughts even. And this is just a reminder to come back into the presence of the Lord and to remember, man, we just need to stand firm and sometimes just to be silent. And to watch what the Lord does, how he makes a way where there wasn't a way. So maybe for some of us, it's, it's calling us to, to stop being full of fear or to just trust him, just to trust. Or to live for him, to quit living for ourselves or living for this, that, or the other, but to live for him. Whatever the Lord is laying on your heart and mind right now, Weston, myself, we're gonna be down here if you need to talk to us or make a decision. These steps are open. If you just wanna come pray, if you just wanna sing these song, this song with us, you can as well. But whatever the Lord is leading, you to do. Be obedient to that.
even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. Father, you have called and commanded us to this new life under the lordship of Jesus as a member of his community, your community, your people. Father, help us to live as a united community in Jesus with an unconditional commitment to Jesus. Help us to live that manner of life. Help us to stand as one, to strive as one. Help us to suffer as one, all for the sake of Jesus, knowing victory belongs to you. You get the last laugh. You've conquered sin and death. You have something in store for all those who love you. So help us to continue in this manner of life until the very, very end and the beginning of what you have in store for those who love you. Bring us to the point of response and obedience here today. In Jesus' name I pray. You stand with us. We'll be down here as you sing and you come.